Hello, everybody, and welcome again to Message of the Week. My name is Ron Crawford, and I'm the pastor of the Father's Church in Dallas, Texas, and it is a privilege to be able to reach out to you today and for us to be able to study the Word of God together. Just a, a, a brief announcement for my congregation here in Dallas. Please remember that this coming Sunday morning, in lieu of Sunday school class, we will be having a Peretz prayer time in our sanctuary. And that will last from really whenever you'd like to get here, but technically from 9 o'clock till sometime after 10. And then our worship time and our morning service will be at their normal times. So we would encourage you to come and give thanks to the Lord for all that he's done uh, in this in this year, in this past year, and to look forward with rejoicing and thanks toward what is ahead. God bless all of you. I'm looking forward to that. And any of you who aren't here in Dallas, we would love for you to join with us in prayer in whatever way you feel led, whether it's real time at the same time as we're praying or whether it is uh, at another time of your choosing. But I do think that it would be a wonderful thing for us to pause and reflect and give thanks to the Lord. Today, we want to turn our attention to the book of Daniel in the sixth chapter, the prelude to one of the most storied episodes in all of the Word of God. And of course, that being Daniel in the lion's den. I can remember just as a a young boy in church. I had a little white Bible that had little paintings of biblical scenes inside the Bible. One of them was Daniel in the den of lions with uh, the lions just uh, observing him passively as he as he prayed. I, I remember also on the in Sunday school class, on the felt board, you had those little cut-out paper depictions of Daniel and the little lions. I remember that. And it seems that people throughout the world know that story, whether they believe in the validity of it or not. I certainly do. But what led up to that is what we want to look at today. I believe that there is great similarity to what Daniel encountered there in Babylon with what we're facing today as Christians in this world. I know that the Bible speaks about what Daniel was receiving from God and the angelic messengers. I know that there were prophecies about the time of the end that Daniel received from God. We're living in those days. And anybody that says, well, these were already fulfilled, that's, a, that's such a cop-out. I mean, really, really. It, it, you know, that's, that's a cop-out. Anybody who looks at the book of Revelation and looks at Daniel and says, well, all these things have already happened, they're just trying to exempt themselves from an actual reception and acceptance of what God says is going to be happening in our day. Yeah, you can nitpick and say, well, yeah, you can fit this in to the time of this in history and the time of this in history. But it doesn't all fit that way. And you know it if you're being very sincere. But that's the problem with those who have other agendas <clears throat> and they find the word of God inconvenient. They're like shyster used car salesmen. Not all used car salesmen are shysters, but some are who don't tell you the whole thing. They just want you to sign on the line and get out of their lot with their car. Um, but the Bible says that things are sealed for the time of the end. We're living in that time. And, you know, and I thought of that too. I firmly believe that we are in the end time. And I recognize that many other generations have thought that. But those folks, as sincere as they were, the time frame they lived in did not afford for the fulfillment of what God is saying technologically or uh, on worldwide basis. Today, we have that, and it is 
technology is rapidly escalating with their capacities. So I believe we're in the end time. But even if you don't believe that, you're in the end time of your life. You know, sometimes I, I will watch, uh, I, I read histories, and, I, and many times I'll watch old movies, and maybe even not so old movies, and I recognize every person that is depicted on this screen is dead. Even people that when I was young were People Magazine's Man of the Year or Sexiest Person Alive or whatever, they're older than Kelsey right now. And I think, you know, we've got a lot of work to do. We have vibrancy, but our lives are like that in the big scope of things. So whether you believe we're in the end time or not, you are living in a in an apportioned time, and it's moving quickly. Like Solomon said, one day I was young, and now I'm old. I mean, it goes quick, and you don't really recognize how the turns, but they are there. So, um, I believe that Daniel's words and how he functioned in conjunction with what he faced are a pattern and a type for us. And I believe that the principles of prayer that Daniel patterned, which in so many ways were just him before the Lord isolated. He was in Babylon. You know, he didn't have, you know, all the social apps of and books and teachings to tell him what to do. He did this before the Lord. And it's amazing to me as I look at how Daniel prayed, it aligns perfectly with the principles of prayer that we have called from the Scripture, and they all align together. So I'd like for us to look in Daniel chapter 6 to the time leading up to Daniel in the lion's den. And we're going to look at the opposition that came against him and what the opposition was trying to prevent in the way of Daniel's prayer. They thought he could, they could trap him, but Daniel just prayed anyway in the way he prayed he had as his pattern. And I believe that anybody who's paying attention can see that Christians are being marked and mocked. And there is, there is a, a very antagonistic agenda against what you and I believe. And the enemy, if he can't come against it and stop it, he's trying to progressively water it down. And he's trying to apply the counsel of Balaam to make us as those that are spiritists in the world. So we must be like Daniel and continue to do what God has taught us to do. And not just what he's taught us to do, what he's patterned in the way of our partnership with him in prayer. And as we do that, <clears throat> we will partner with the angelic and we will fulfill our mission on behalf of the throne and God will watch over us and show himself strong. So, we're in Daniel 6. There is no teaching sheet today because... To me, we're just in one passage of Scripture. And you as Pneumatikos people, you ought to be able to sink your teeth into this without me giving you third grade assignment sheet. I hope so. The princes and the presidents of Babylon 
detested the preferential treatment that Daniel received. He had an excellent spirit within him, and the king was impressed by Daniel's relationship with the Lord. And so these people that were in some measures of authority in the land sought to find occasion against Daniel. And they couldn't find any fault in him, no malfeasance, because he was faithful. And the Bible says in verse 4 of Daniel 6, there was no error or fault in him. And so they came up with another plan, and it involved the government. And let's read from verses 6 through 11. Then these presidents and princes assembled together to the king and said this thus unto him, King Darius, live forever. All the presidents of the kingdom, the governors and the princes, the counselors and the captains have consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whosoever shall ask a petition of any god or man for thirty days, save of thee, O king, he shall be cast into the den of lions. That sounds like a, a COVID restriction. And we're just going to flatten the curve here. Oh yeah, the time's up. Well, we're going to keep. We're going to flatten you while we flatten the curve. We're going to. We're going to keep on flattening the curve. Oh, what? Our efforts aren't working. It's spreading more than we thought. Well, we've got to flatten even more. If you believe that these 30 days was all that it was going to be, think again. Well, we continue to read. Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing that it be not changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which alters not. Wherefore, King Darius assigned the writing and the decree. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house his windows being open in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. Then these men assembled, found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. Wow. A lot of stuff there. How did Daniel pray? Well, there were, in combination between um, verse 10 and 11, we find three things that Daniel did and two things that these malfeasant ones saw him doing and um and i think i think it's just um i think it's important for us to look at each of these and to see what it is that we're doing and how it aligns with so many other things that god has taught us to do in prayer so let's begin by seeing, first of all, Daniel had a pattern. Three times a day he prayed. Now, I know that, you know, David did seven times a day. I'm not trying to make a law here. But Daniel, three times a day, went and he looked out toward Jerusalem. And he, uh, he, he, he prayed. So the first thing he did in verse 10 was he kneeled. He kneeled upon his knees. I don't know how else you'd kneel, but um, that's, that's what he did. And um, this is our old friend Barak, or Barak, which means, it's translated mostly as a blessing, but it is when someone would kneel before an authority to either receive a commissioning, to receive some type of a um, 
a publicized blessing or measure of authority. And um, it's, um, it's, it's really also, in this instance, a function in regard to that. And this is really, this is really interesting because the first thing Daniel does is acknowledge that he has a divine commission to represent the throne. He's been given authority in this, and he believed that through his, his not only his patterning, but his doing of, of this type of prayer, God was going to move on behalf of what he had been commissioned to do. And that's so important because so many people just think that they almost treat prayer like a, a witchcraft thing. Now, what do I mean by that? That if I say these words or do this thing, I'll get what I want. This was not what Daniel was doing. He was, he was acting upon a commission from God. Now, lots of Christians don't. You know, I remember early on when we were praying and we said, okay, you know, God is drawing us to his throne. The presence of his, of his spirit is here. The angels are moving and, and functioning and there were a lot of things and still are happening uh, around us. And we have to do something on behalf of this, according to the scripture. You know, for instance, you can't just pray. Well, you could, but you shouldn't just pray in the spirit unless you're also open to hear what the spirit is saying and interpret. That's what the Bible says. When we began to teach this, there were some who said, oh, that's work. We just want to dwell. We just want to spend time with God. You're making it hard for us to do that. Really? Who's serving who here? I mean, you, you are a, you're called to be sons. You're saints. You have been given a commission by God to represent him. And that should be the governing factor of everything else you do. Yes, you're moving according to the agape. But I can tell you, the agape is going to lead you to your eternal calling. I mean, you know, if, 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 I, if I were counseling my children on falling in love and being with somebody, I would say, okay, that's, that's important. You don't just love. You've you've got to you got to take responsibility in the midst of that. You've got to make commitments in the midst of that. The idea that you're just rolling around in love is fun, but that first of all doesn't last. And secondly, it's not the point of love. God wants you to know his love and he wants to love you and he wants you to love him but he wants you to fulfill what he created you to be because that is the greatest measure of partnership with him it's not just feeling him and getting what you want from him and being in love I mean, you, you, you want to walk with him. You want to partner with him. And so that you are, you know, the bride of Christ is not just dolling up and wearing a nice white gown. Let me show you the bride of Christ, the angel said to John. He shows in the new Jerusalem coming down. What does that mean? You are to have prepared the way for God's eternal plan, and you're going to rule and reign in this. That's the bride. It's not some 17 magazine filling some airheaded kid with the idea of being a bride. I mean, hey, look, the wedding day's over quick, as nice as it may be. Then you got to live, 
and you got to make it work. And that's what Daniel is doing here. He opens the window. He turns to Jerusalem three times a day, and he establishes, first of all, the position that indicates that he's representing God. He's been commissioned by God for the fulfillment of a task. I've said this before, and it really is true. Everything in the spirit realm has to do with your relationship with God and the authority that he exerts toward you and on behalf of you. Authority and relationship. That's, that's the essence. Now, again, relationship is the key, but you, you, have to, you have to know God, and then when you know him, he's going to commission you to represent him. And that can take many forms. That's where a lot of people fall because they, they think, hey, people in life do this. You know, sometimes I have seen individuals who joined our movement or who were in my church and they were good people. They exhibited their gifts. They were faithful. But yet what they never, never said was what their expectations were from me or for their pathway. And this is a maxim for life. When Sometimes when people's expectations don't manifest in reality, they get bent out of shape. I think this is what happened to Judas. This is what happened to Satan. Somehow in his head, he thought, well, I'm the greatest thing since sliced bread. I'm God's apex of creation, and I can do this well. And now I'm going to be like God. God never said you were going to be equal to him. You want to emulate him, but you're not going to be equal with him. And God can do what he's going to do. That's the lesson of the people in the vineyard. It's not about money being paid to the people that came in the first hour. It's about, are you going to serve in this vineyard in accordance with what, um, you know, what, what you're, you're agreeing to do? And the first person and the last person, that should have been their agenda. It wasn't about what they were being paid. And in, in all fairness, I suspect that toward the end of the day, the work was harder. I suppose that by the end of the day, it was hotter out there. You, you had to, I'm not going to go through this. It's, it's not germane to our topic. But the point is, what is your expectation? Is it simply to serve God, which is what it should be, the chief end of man, or is it some fanciful, iniquitous ambition that you have? You know, I, I remember so many times that's where the enemy gets people. It made me cringe when people tried to bring ambitious five-year plans from the work world into what God was doing in a person. Somebody who started out saying, I'm just called to serve God. I'm just called to seek him. And everybody knows that's true. And we make a way for that. And then they've got somebody in their house that says, where do you want to be in five years? Well, what kind of question is that to ask a person when you're serving God and you've already said, God has called me to pray. That's what you should be in five years. That's what you should be. And if you've got some expectation, well, by this time, I'm going to be in this position and people are going to be doing this and it's going to be my thing and I'll be equal to the leader by then and he will have seen my greatness and positioned me. That has done in so many people. It's still doing it. That is the chief thing that the enemy tries to do with people.
And so right off the bat, Daniel was fulfilling what God wanted. Yeah, he had a position in the kingdom of Babylon. We just read that. But he never forgot, I'm serving the throne of God. That's my true commissioning. And positions in this world, that is at the behest of my heavenly Father. And that's what we should all say. That's what is going to bring us through. Because when things really are brought to a point of trial, it's not about your position. It's not about what people think of you. That can be taken away in a minute, as we've seen. Oh, we've got a million followers on Parlor. Well, boom, that's gone. Uncle Big Tech just took that away. But what cannot be taken away is that position that you're kneeling before God brings about. And you need to, you need to recognize that that is the most important thing that you have. You're going to pray, but you're going to fulfill what God has said, and that's the entire agenda that you should have. So, I believe that of all the things that we see, um, all the things that we're facing, and even in this story, so many people, just like me as a little boy, they, they, love, they love to talk about breaking into the, into the end zone, making the big score. They love to talk about the lion's mouths being shut. They love to talk about the fourth man in the fire. Whoa! There you are, friend, today. I know you feel the heat of the fire. And yet, look around you, because you're not alone. There's a fourth man in the fire. Preacher, preacher! <sighs> well, I can guarantee you, you want that fourth man in the fire? You better be on your knees representing that fourth man. Because if you will, he will. It's not about works. It's about you fulfilling what God has called you to be. And so that is really where we are. That is, that you know, if, if I could say that one thing, I would say that to me that is a major, a major theme from this entire lesson. And um, we could stop right here and we've we've said that that pretty much says it all. It pretty much says it all. But it doesn't stop there. The next thing that Daniel does is he's on his knees and he prayed. He prayed. Now, this is an odd word because it's a Chaldean word, and it is S-E-L-A, Sela. Now, again, let's stick with me here. And my apologies to all you etymological freaks who, who will say, where'd you get that? Where'd you get that? You look in Strong's, you look in Theological Word Book, you're going to find that this is a Chaldean word, and it's a little bit difficult to understand. It really means, you're going to see it, to limp or to be one-sided. That's weird, isn't it? It extrapolates uh, to roast meat. It, it also was used to describe a, a spit upon which something was being roasted. It, it can be also, in the Hebrew, a spear. And through all of those, it conveys itself um, 
into the word we know as Selah. But I didn't live thousands of years ago, so I can't give you postings from the people who said, oh yeah, we borrowed this word. What does it really mean? Somehow, what Daniel was doing when he knelt was he became horizontal. Now, he didn't float off the ground. I don't, I'm not saying that he was shachai. I'm not saying he was on his face, but he was parallel to the ground. And he was in that position showing humility. It's much like our proskuneo, I think. But he was saying, I am, I am believing for, um, I'm believing for this to be a measure of my yieldedness to God and that I am as a sacrifice I am representing his authority as a spear I'm willing to be in the midst of the crucible of fire here to see what you want for your people and I'm believing that the thing you gave me authority to represent that I'm standing in the gap now to see that happen. Now to me, again, Shacha in the Old Testament and Proskuneo communicate this same type of posturing and they communicate the fact that we're representing his authority as a spear does in the Old Testament and we are believing from promise to fulfillment that in that gap we're waiting on God. But that's, those are the two things that Daniel did in measures of posture and yielding. Now, he also gave uh, a measure of thanks. And this is yada. This is that time of fellowship and waiting on God, listening to him, communicating with him, interchanging back and forth and um i'm i'm just i'm i cannot i cannot he didn't have the benefit of praying in the spirit which we do but he he was doing this before um before god and this is the air this is an aramaic word elah which is a prolonged form that I think anybody could say um, was uh, a, a another declension of Elohim. Okay, so it's difficult when you deal with Daniel because there are a lot of these Chaldean and then Aramaic words that are used there, and um, I I know that. The point for us is that Daniel was doing three things at that window. Number one, he was um, he was kneeling. Number two, he yielded himself. He prostrated before the Lord symbolically and and physically, and he communicated with God. He listened, and he spoke. These are very important for us to see. Now, his antagonists, they, in verse 11, they assembled and they found Daniel praying and making supplication. Now, let's look at these two words because these are what his enemies saw and what they tried to stop. Praying, verse 11, is bia, which again is a Chaldean word. It is found only in Daniel. Now, earlier on in this chapter, when these princes and presidents were formulating their royal decree, petition was ba'u, and this was the form of this same word of request. And to me, I think that this is like in the New Testament, for those of you pneumatikos people, this is like Iteo and Itema, the 
that measure of getting a word that you're supposed to put forward and that forms your petition. This is what these people wanted to stop. And this is what they saw Daniel doing. So somehow in that threefold thing that Daniel was offering up, they recognized he's really gaining this. Now let's look at this a little deeper. And you can find this in Theological Word Book. There are five dimensions of use of this word all in Daniel. Number one, there's a group seeking another group. Number two, uncover, trying to undercover, uncover legal grounds and precedents. Number three, the attempt to gain favor from a person. Number four, the attempt to gain favor and promotion from a king. And number five, to, to ask a question from a, from a place of, I don't want to say intimacy, but closeness. So these guys saw that what Daniel was doing, and this is what they wanted to stop, was he was before God. He was seeking for specifics. He was gaining position and direction. He was entering into the favor of the Lord, and he was asking questions and receiving answers. This, is, this was how Daniel's perspective was formed, and this is what strengthened Daniel's spirit, and it showed Daniel what to do. This is so much like what we do, and we're going to talk about that here in, in just a minute. We're going to align these with some things uh, not only with the fivefold, but the types of prayer that we've been, revelatory prayer that we've been seeing and establishing in the New Testament. The last thing they saw in verse 11, uh, they saw prayer, which was bare, and they saw supplication, which is our old friend, Hanan, which is from the word for grace which is supplication. They saw that Daniel was engaging in something that was a partnership that would elevate him and his designated plan from God from one point to another. This is so important. And I would say that our enemy looks at you today and would say... Whatever I can do to stop them from fulfilling their commission, from spending time on their face before God, both, both literally and with all the figurative meanings of that, and not just figurative, the application, the applicable meanings of it, however I can stop them from communing with God, However, I can stop them from engaging back and forth with what he's wanting and then them declaring it. However, I can stop them from partnering in grace, I'm going to do. Now, to me, I see the apostolic commissioning in Barak. I see the pastoral commissioning in this measure of praying and spending time on your face before God. I see the teacher as being someone who is exchanging back and forth with God in Yada. I see the prophetic assessment in this praying or gaining requests or gaining insight to speak forth. And I see the evangelist measure of pressing forward to the breakthrough of grace. I know whenever I start assigning fivefold understandings, the mind of Christ, some some people just get all out of whack. Well, I didn't see it that way. You know, I, I see it this way. We see five things here. How about we just agree on that, okay? But the agenda was that this guy was representing the throne, and there are five distinct things that he was doing. So you play with the fivefold. Let's look at it another way. To me... The yada talks about how we, how we vocalize. And for us as saints, we're praying in diversities of tongues. We are 
we're praying and then we're speaking the mysteries of God to him and we're listening to how he communicates back with us. The, the Barak to me is our measure of appointed um, appointed partnership. That would represent deasis to me. Uh, the Selah represents prosuke, how, how as on our face we're, we're being impressed by God and, and we're in a position to hear from him. The, the bia or the ba'u, which is there, is, I, as I mentioned earlier, Iteo and Itema, that, okay, through this whole thing, we're prophetically gleaning this specific strike point at this moment, and we are making that proclamation from God. Prosuke influences our perspective, and it just really galvanizes what we're, what we're receiving, but um, to, um, to really know this is the strike point of our declaration, to me that lines up so beautifully. And then, of course, we see in the New Testament, Eucharistia, which is thanks, which we should always be giving, prayer and thanksgiving, uh, that, that is grace. That's the New Testament establishment of our mission of grace and the Old Testament establishment of grace is Kana, uh, Hannah, Hannah, and uh, there it is. It's all right there. This is what Daniel was doing, both from a fivefold perspective and from these New Testament dimensions of, of, of prayer. This is what the enemy doesn't want you to do. This is what you're called to do. You say, oh, how many times have we heard this? And I understand the meaning of it. I'm all alone. Nobody's with me. I feel so lonesome I could cry. And, you know, then we get the little pity party. I miss my friends. I miss being together with people. Well, where was Daniel's friends? Where were his buddies that were in, in the fire with him? Where were they? We don't see any of them there. He's been targeted. He's in the window, his window, by himself. He opens that window. He turns his face toward what his objective was. And where did Jesus tell his disciples to turn their face? You'll be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the other post parts of the world. It wasn't all about Jerusalem. Sad to say that. We support Jerusalem. We pray for the fulfillment of what God wants to do, which is the peace of Jerusalem. But our objective is wherever God has directed us. Solomon built the temple and he started praying for tabernacles to go forth. See it for yourself. David wanted to build the temple from the tabernacle perspective. Solomon took that same template and adjusted it so now we're at the temple, we're praying for the tabernacle. So wherever God has called you to serve him, you turn your face toward that. And you see what, what God is wanting. And that's, that's our mission. That is, that is our mission. And we need, we need to do it. Um, we need to do it. Don't get on a pity party. I mean, I, I miss having our group prayer times. I miss gathering together with our saints here at our seminars and at places that we go and join with you. Believe me, I miss that. But Daniel didn't have that. Somehow, God delivered him. Somehow, God defeated the enemies. Somehow, God came to him with Gabriel. Somehow, God mobilized angelic warfare on behalf of the mobilization 
that was happening in Persia and in, in the Grecian Western world. Somehow, Daniel was receiving scrolls of insights for what's happening in our day. And Daniel did this sometimes every now and then with his friends. But right here, you see the pattern of what Daniel did, whether anybody was with him or not. I just don't think I can do it. I don't have enough. What else do you need? What else do you need? At some point, you just got to do it. I mean, it's kind of like trying to ride a bike for the first time. Yeah, you're going to fall. But after a while, the training wheels have to come off, and whoever's running alongside you holding on to the bar, the handlebars in the, in the, the end of the back uh, uh, seat, the, the, the back of the seat, they're going to let go, and you've got you've to do it. Yeah, my brother's, I inherited my brother's bike, which was bikes, which were about the size of Sherman tanks, and they were about as heavy. And for me to, I didn't have, we didn't have training wheels back then. At least we didn't afford them in my house. So for me to get up on that bike, I had to get that thing running and then put my left or my right foot, which depending on which side of the bike I was on, onto that pedal and hoist myself up while the bike was going and hope that I didn't fall over. And I fell over a lot. I remember one time I fell over, banged my head. These were days without before helmets. And I, I laid there for I don't know how many minutes. I kind of knocked myself out. <laughs> I don't know whether I was concussed or not. Might explain my quirkiness now. But at some point, you got to put on your big boy pants and say, I have been positioned here. I'm going to stop lamenting the fact that I'm all by my lonesome and I'm going to do something. That's what God is waiting for. If you will, God will. Draw near to me and I will draw near to you. You make yourself whatever needs to be in that place and God will, God will become large in the midst of that's the pattern of John the Baptist, the friend of the bridegroom, and that's what's for you. That's what Daniel did. And listen, as the old preacher said, believe you me, that's what we need to do in these days. Do you see this? Do you see this pattern? Everybody focuses, and, and we should, on the miracle of the lion's den. Everybody focuses on this. It's a colorful story, but what, what set the stage for this? And what, what caused him to be put in that lion's den? And why did God show himself strong on behalf of him? It's because of this right here. You can get happy feet about the fourth man in the fire and the mouth of the lions being shut. But it's not because Daniel was declaring and binding and rebuking. It was because he was commissioned by God and he knew it. He was willing to take a stand where he was, whether anybody was with him or not. He was willing to submit himself for the fulfillment of the mandate from the throne of God and to be prostrated on behalf of that. He was willing to listen to God and exchange with God. He was willing to have his perspective formed by that and to make inquiry at the directive of God and to enunciate that. And he was willing to say, this is all about the grace of what you're wanting to do. Oh my goodness, you want to talk about another thing? How many decades did Daniel do this? And did he set the stage for somebody else? Sure did. Sure did. Whether it was Zerubbabel, Joshua, whether it was Ezra, Nehemiah, Haggai, whether it, those people 
were the ones that benefited from it. Now you say, well, how's this going to work, Pastor? Are we going to do this? And is God going to take us out? And then other people are going to see this? I don't know. I don't know. I, I can see lots of scenarios. I do see that the saints are a vital force in the time of the end with Daniel and in John's writings. I see Jesus talking about the angels coming from the four corners of the earth to gather God's elect. Now, I'm not going to get into pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib stuff. People strain it in that and they miss the camel entirely. The point is that we are either setting the stage like Daniel was and laying the groundwork and establishing the doctrines and laying a pattern for others to be, to be empowered and instructed. Uh, or we're going to be laboring alongside these ones into what many believe is a mid-trib rapture. I'm not God. I'm not going to argue about it. But I have to tell you, I grew up as a pre-trib person, and I hope I'm not blowing somebody's fundamental truth here. It's not up to me. It's not up to me when God's going to come. I do believe in a rapture, and I do believe it's going to happen. But I have to, I have to tell you, and even I'm going to tell you this, in my seminary, in the Queen City of the Ozarks, teachers that I had there who taught on these subjects said, I know it's convenient. We know it's convenient for the church to think before it all hits the fan, we're going to be caught up. But we don't really have exact verses that promise that. It's convenient to believe that. And all the rest of you are going to hell. We're going to get up here before the fires get going. He said, we can see a midterm rapture. And I remember hearing Jack Hayford from the Foursquare Movement teach on this. And he said, it's likely that there's a the midterm. I'm... Jack, Dr. Jack, if you're listening, I hope I'm representing that well. But my point is not to sit at the old-timey prophetic seminars. It's the only kind of prophetic we really believed in back then was telling who the Antichrist was, who we thought it was, and um, <clears throat> when the rapture is going to happen. Prophetic is really something much more. But I'm, I'm not going to trying to figure out timing when the Lord said nobody knows the day or the time except the Father. So why do we keep trying to figure it out? I remember one guy, really good guy, he was so ensconced in end-time teaching. And when I started mentioning this could be, he left the church because he said we'd abandon doctrine. There was one lady that came up, real sweet lady, this was 30 years ago. He said, Pastor, I'm going to have to go. You don't preach on the rapture enough. <laughs> well, 30 years ago. I, 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 uh, I won't say her name. Can you give us a call if you're still on the planet? Now, have you been raptured and we missed it? Oh, man. What, maybe the Lord would have come sooner if I'd have preached more about the rapture back then. Wouldn't it be better to just preach about what we're supposed to be doing right now? Instead of just sitting on the back pew hearing sermons about the Antichrist and watching the world go to hell in a handbasket waiting for the trumpet to blow. <laughs> I remember one guy preached a sermon and it was so funny. He butchered the king's English, but he sure had the people hopping and he said, One day the father's going to lean over to his son who's sitting at the right hand in the throne and say, Jesus Bring my people home. And I want to tell you today, friends, that his lips is on the horn. At <laughs> that time, everybody goes, ah! They yelled. <laughs> his lips is on the horn. Well, 
I don't think it's going to work out that way. I just don't think it's going to be because I don't see a horn in Jesus' mouth. I see fire, a fiery sword and him riding a white horse with a, with a garment stained with blood and a vestige saying, King of kings and Lord of lords. And I see many of the saints riding with him. So you think Jesus is on a heavenly, in a, in a heavenly lazy boy because he's done all he's going to do. You better read some verses that you don't have underlined. The point for us today is to see these things that Daniel did, and we see them aligned with the types of prayer that the Bible speaks about in the New Testament. And we need to be this. We must be this. Because God is looking for a people who will fulfill their commission before God. And that's our calling, and that's where we are right now. So I know the enemy doesn't want you praying this way. I know I, I've been studying for our seminar in March. It's called The Prophet. And I've been um, reading materials of, from the progressive uh, move that's happening in our country. I've been reading books and meticulously looking at them. A number of our people have been deceived by heresies. And I'm reading these things and I'm thinking, what you're doing is ecumenicalism on steroids and you're taking away the dynamism of what prayer really is. You're not even talking about any of these things from the Scripture. You're not speaking about them, and you're watering down people, and you're causing people to abandon their first love and what God commissioned them to do. God help you today, saint, if you have abandoned your commission because your expectations did not reach reality, your reality, your expectation, not what God is wanting. Daniel fulfilled his task. How about you? How about me? Oh, but you're not functioning with the princes and the presidents of this world. That's how we're going to move. That's how we're going to gain notoriety. You know, you don't have a burden. Daniel didn't have a burden for the princes and the presidents of this world and the poor suffering people there in Babylon. You don't know that. What Daniel had a burden for was to fulfill what God had commissioned him to be. Yeah, they said, Mary and Martha said, Oh, Jesus, if you had just been here, my brother would not have died. Jesus said, Let the dead bury the dead. You serve the living God. Let's be what God has called us to be, and let's see that this is how Daniel functioned, and let's see that this is what we must do in these times of the end. As these scrolls of Daniel are being unfurled, the seals are being taken off, the seven seals of, uh, in, in heaven, in that little book, those things we're living right now. Let's be this, because this is what God said in the Old Testament and this is what God said in the New Testament. And when we studied these New Testament words, we aligned them with Old Testament prayer. These are Chaldean words, but the principle and the pattern is the same. Be encouraged today, saint. Listen, I, I, I may go a little bit over time here. I'm still under an hour. But... There have been things that I have sensed that the enemy is unleashing in, in these days that are, that are so encompassing. They, they try to permeate who you are. They try to, they try to discourage you. They, they try to convince you to, to quit and to abandon your purpose. Resist those things steadfastly and to keep, do, keep doing what you're called to do. That spirit of heaviness comes like we preached weeks ago. Put on the garment of praise. Look forward to what God has said and 
for the joy set before you, keep pressing toward it. These are our weapons. They're not carnal. They're mighty through God. Have you begun in the Spirit to fulfill your work in the flesh? God forbid. May the Spirit of the Lord open your blinded eyes, and may you truly be naked before the Lord. Don't be getting naked in the spirit realm and putting on the the fig leaves of this world. When God comes to you, you're going to be really embarrassed. You may think you're doing what God's saying, but get back to your first love. Do what you've been commissioned to do and be faithful in it. Well, I've drifted off into preaching. But this is the word of the Lord for us today. Heavenly Father, let these words penetrate into the depths of our spirit. And may we see ourselves in this. And may we be what we're supposed to be. Lord, we love you. And we commit ourselves to you. Help us to serve you. And to fulfill what you have put us on this earth at this time to do. And let us be good and faithful servants who do well on your behalf. We love you, Father. Bless your people. I continue to declare the blood of Jesus over every one of them and over us and over all of our families. We love you, Father. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks for tuning in. May God bless you. And uh, we'll look forward to meeting again real soon. Till that time, be blessed and goodbye.